Good morning. My name is Josue. For those of you that do not know me, I, am, uh, I have the privilege of serving here at the Grove as one of the elders, and today I have the privilege of preaching. And anytime I get to do uh, this up here, it's really just a joy and an honor for me and not one I take lightly. And so my hope and my prayer today is that, um, as Amy prayed, that this would not be a show. Um, I was telling Lance that last night. So normally before I preach, I, uh, I don't sleep very well. And uh, I think that's just a lot of God uh, having or causing me to have to rely on him and not my abilities. And last night I had this dream that I had gotten up on stage and we were at a different place. And there's this really big ship in the middle of the stage. And I, I like was getting up and I could, I could not get to the middle of the stage. So I actually had to stand on the side and preach from the side. So not that I believe like, I have prophetic dreams, but um, I think God is just saying that ultimately his word is really at the center of what will be said today and not this guy. And not, I'm not going to say anything to you today that is radically new. I'm simply going to remind you of truths that are fundamental to our walk in Christ, truths that are fundamental to our faith, truths that are fundamental to the way we relate to one another and the way we relate to the world. And so uh, don't be impressed by anything I say today because it will not be impressive. I can guarantee you that right now. But please be impressed by the work of Christ. Be impressed by the gospel. Be impressed by something we're going to discover today that is called justification. And Paul will introduce that term today in the book of Galatians um, as he is helping them understand what ultimately the gospel is. Have you ever been asked, uh, so tell me about yourself. Has anybody ever asked you that question? That's a very common question in our culture today, in society today. And normally, what we try to do when we answer that question is highlight the best part of us, right? The best thing we think about ourselves. And so when people say, tell me about yourself, you normally don't say, well, you know, I'm kind of not that clean at the house, right? Like, that's not the way you introduce yourself, <laughs> right? You normally don't say, well, ah, I just, I don't cook very well. Um, I don't, and, and you don't, normally don't present the worst parts of yourself. Instead, you normally say things like, oh, well, in case you didn't see, I'm an Aggie, right? Like, those are the things that you want to present of yourself, right? I can't say that, but I did go to the A&M of the North, right? So, uh. <laughs> so, um, but normally, when we are asked that question, we are trying to present the best part of ourselves. And have you ever met anybody that when you asked them that question, they said, oh, um, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And yet, Paul would tell us that ultimately, if we ask Paul that question, somehow, some way, he would get back to the gospel, because that is the greatest part of his life. And what this question has done socially and culturally for us is it has caused us to become very individualistic. It has caused us to center everything in the narrative on ourselves. And what Paul will tell us today is that the narrative is not about you and it is not about me. It is not about ourselves. It is about Christ and only Christ. And so what we will discover today is that there is this tension between what Paul presents as truths of the gospel and lies that you and I believe about ourselves that we then try to insert into the narrative of Christ, into the gospel. And so I've titled today, The Lie of I. And basically, I took this from 
no longer I, but Christ in me. And the reason I touted it, the lie of I, is because I want to challenge you today that as we navigate this text, to think about the lies that you are believing and then inserting into your faith. What lies are you believing that are not based on the gospel, that are based on you and your preference and your desires and your joys and your hopes, and then you're saying, and the gospel. And Paul would tell us, no, it is not the gospel plus anything. This is just the gospel, and yet we try to do the opposite and take our preferences and say the gospel plus what things I like and want, and that's where we'll find joy. And so when we insert the I, when we insert these lies into our faith, what we're doing is the very end of this text. And this is what Paul says in 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. When you and I insert lies into our faith, what we are doing is we are nullifying the grace of God. We are voiding the grace of God. And grace here is a term Paul uses very purposefully. And it is based on an Old Testament word that I love to use. And that word is hesed. That is the loving kindness, the faithfulness of God to his people over time. And so when we insert lies to the way we live, to the way we act, to the way we react, what we are doing is we are voiding the finished work of Christ on the cross. And Paul would go as far as saying, if we do that, then Christ died for nothing. And if you and I truly fundamentally believe that, then we can truly fundamentally repent to God where we are inserting these lies into our lives. Because none of us would ever dare to say Christ died in vain and yet our lives would at times scream that. And ultimately, what this boils down to is faith. It's what are you believing? And that's why today we will explore lies that we believe. And I can't, I can't, figure that out for you. I will ask you to think and pray about what that is, and I'll present some very general lies that get inserted when they are juxtaposed to the truths that we find that Paul presents. But ultimately, this is going to be you and the Spirit. This is going to be you and God after the gathering, starting tonight, starting the rest of this week, you and the community discovering what are the lies that you are believing. You see, last week we found that Peter was believing a lie, and he was falling into fear, and because of that fear, he decided to associate with the Jews, the Christian Jews, and say, I'm not going to hang out with the Christian Gentiles. And so Paul, to contextualize today, he is having to fight against lies that are surfacing where people are saying it's the gospel plus something is what brings salvation. And Paul's having to say, no, 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 there is no other gospel. There's just one gospel, and that is faith in Christ alone. That's the only means to salvation. There's nothing else you can add to that. And the people were saying, but if that's the case, then what about the law? The law was not given in vain. The law was given by God to us. So if we are only justified by faith, then what about the law? It's a good thing. And on top of that, if we only believe that we're saved by faith, then we can basically do whatever we want, for after all, is simply believing in God. And Paul has to fight against those kind of thoughts and those kind of arguments. And he's basically going to say that the law has a very specific purpose, and that's to expose the sin in us. And for believers, we are not given over to a license to sin. In fact, it's quite the opposite because we understand the depths of the gospel, the depths of God's sacrifice for us, then we live unto God. And that's what we will discover in this text. 
And so Paul continues to Peter in 15, and he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And so the first thing Paul has to present is that justification is only by faith in Christ. That's the only means to be saved is faith in Christ. There is nothing else we can add to that. Now he says, I identify with you guys. I'm also a Jew and not a Gentile sinner. It almost sounds condescending, right? That they would treat their Christian brothers as Gentile sinners, but we the Jews, we kind of stand out. And there was a sentiment in that time among the Jews that were Christian that because the law was given to them, because God had given them the Ten Commandments back in Moses' time, that they somehow had a moral advantage because they were the chosen people of God. And so Paul almost kind of wants to play along with them and says, hey, I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're doing. I'm also a Jew, not a Gentile sinner. But he's about to change this up, and then he's about to say, but guess what? We're all sinners. None of us have any moral advantage. When it comes to salvation, none of us have anything to offer God. And yet, the point is justification is only by faith alone, and this is the lie that we insert in there. And my good works. And so when, I think this is up, what's in brackets is ultimately, I think, the lies that we insert into our way of living the gospel out. And so whatever you see in brackets moving forward, those are the lies that I think surface and come into play the way we live out our faith. And Paul's saying, it's just by justification, it's only by faith in Christ. But you and I, at times, say, and my good works. So these are the two competing thoughts here. It's one, it's either faith or works of the law. And works of the law are good things, are the things that are actually good. We serve, we give, we preach, we uh, are hospitable, all the good things that we are to do. But when we take these things as a measure of our salvation, our, our salvation as a measure of how pleased God is with us, then we miss the point that salvation is only by faith in Christ. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. For you see, justification is simply this, is that in the moment God gives you the gift of faith, he says you are righteous, not because of anything you have done. He considers you innocent because of the finished work on the cross by Christ. And if you and I try to add anything to that, Christ died in vain. And so Paul is telling us that salvation is an act of God and not something we can earn. But you and I at times try to earn God's favor. You and I at times try to earn his forgiveness. You and I at times try to earn his love by the things that we do. And God tells us through Paul that is not the way salvation works. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And this is the thing is that as we consider ourselves and the lies that we believe, um, you'll see how mature you are in your faith by how much you truly believe justification, by how much you truly understand justification. And if you wanna see how well you understand justification, how do you treat your husband and your wife, especially when they get on your nerves? How do you treat them? With grace and love, unmerited, obviously because they're getting on your nerves? Or do you treat him with wrath? Do you treat him with a desire to change them? Do you work 
to give them a to-do list of the things they have to do in order to be in right standing before you and then hope that that will bring happiness to your life. You see, this is not what God does with us. He says, come to me, I love you, I forgive you, and it's not because of anything you've done. And so the moment that you are justified, consider innocent before God, the love he has for you is the same love he has for you today and the same love he will have for you forever. There is nothing between this eternity that will make him love you more. He simply loves you. But when we don't understand this, then we work to gain his favor and his love. And we try to do more good things so that God will be more pleased with us. And so I have to ask you, are you trying to mix works of the law with grace? Do your actions reveal that you are actually trying to earn God's favor? How do you treat yourself? This will show you ultimately where you believe and where you stand in justification. Some people rebel hard and go to the world. They, they fall hard, after, they, they, they go hard after the things of the world, whether that's uh, drugs and promiscuity and money and status and all the things of the world. But that person needs to be justified as much as us who tend to go to the legalistic side, where we have all the rules that we want to follow and think we're going to be justified by the things that we do. And Christ is saying, no. It's neither one of these. You're justified only by faith in Christ and his finished work on the cross. It is an act of God whereby he declares you righteous in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a couple of questions to test your faith, to test what you truly believe. Do you find yourself wanting to do more to get closer to God? Do you find yourself feeling like I need to read more of the Bible, I need to pray more, I need to serve more, I need to give more? Or are you finding freedom in the finished work of Christ? Are you rejoicing daily? This is the reason we have to remind ourselves of the gospel daily. Are you rejoicing daily in the fact that you are forgiven? Or are you trying to earn that forgiveness? Are you walking in the liberty of grace, the grace that you have so freely been given? Is that the kind of grace you give to others? The way we live our daily lives really shows what we truly believe about justification. And this is such a huge deal for every believer and one that I, I wrestled with to think through how do I present this to let you know that this is huge. This ultimately changes Christianity forever. When we try to insert ourselves into the equation, we minimize and void the grace of God. There's a reason why the Reformation had to happen. And one of the points of the Reformation was justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And we have many generations of Christians who have suffered because of this truth. And it's a truth that you and I many times take lightly. And my prayer is that we would truly explore the lies that are causing us to not believe that it is by faith alone, in Christ alone. And instead, sometimes we try to work and earn our salvation. Paul continues in 17 and says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I re rebuilt what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I, I died to the law that I might live to God. And so the Jews are telling Paul, hey, Paul, you can't ignore the law. It's important. You need the law. But 
If you say it's only by faith and all of a sudden we're considered righteous and yet we look at our lives and there's this daily battle with sin in us, then is Christ a minister of sin? And Paul says, certainly not. This is the same kind of phrase that Paul uses in Romans where he says, are we to continue to sin so that grace may abound? May it never be. For you see, Christ is not a minister of sin. He is a minister of salvation. But Paul has to present this to the Jews and tell them, hey, so this is the dichotomy that we find in the law and in salvation, is that Moses was given the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament and came down, right, from the mountain, and this is the perfect law of God on stones, and he presented it to the people of God. There should ha- Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And what did they have behind them? A golden calf. And so all of a sudden, what the law does is it exposes the sinful nature of humanity. Now, it was meant to show us how depraved, how wretched, how much in need of a savior we are. It was never meant to save us. And so the law of Moses exposes to us how sinful we are. But when we try to use the law for salvation, it comes incredibly short. And so this is one of the most profound statements in the New Testament where Paul is showing us that Moses gave us the law and therefore gave us death and wrath and judgment. But Christ enters the picture, and instead of giving us the law, he fulfills the law, and he gives us salvation. He gives us free salvation to have a relationship with him. But we treat Christ like we treat the law sometimes. And this is the beautiful thing about the way Christ loves us, is that he doesn't say, hey, come to me and do all these things. He simply says, come to me. I consider you son, I consider you friend, I consider you brother. And yet you and I many times have a temptation to come to Christ and feel like there are all these lists of things to do. Paul says, we are dead to the law. This is our reality. But you and I in our humanity and in our flesh insert the lie that we are dead to the law except when it's helpful, right? Except when we can use it to our benefit. And Paul tells us, why would we reconstruct that which has already been torn down? Why would you go back to your old way of living when Christ has already brought down the barrier between you and God? For you see, the law creates the gap between us and God. But Christ brings us into union with God. And so why would we go back to the law? Why would we want to stand in the law which created a gap between us and God? And instead, why would we not press into Christ who freely gives us his grace and brings us into right relationship with him? The Jews were trying to impose this system of the law, a system of merit, but they were countering what Paul was teaching us that the gospel show us, and that's a system of grace. And when does the law become helpful for us? When we're working and grinding really hard and really good things and don't get our way and don't find a satisfaction, and so then we begin to bring the law in. And sometimes the way this fleshes out in us is we look to our left and to our right, And all of a sudden, I don't feel that bad about myself because I'm serving three out of four Sundays at the the Grove. I don't feel that bad about myself because I feel like I'm giving more than other people. I don't feel that bad about myself because I've been a Christian for 20 years. And, And you begin to put in this list all the things of comparison that are based on the law and not the finished work of Christ. And that's the lie that battles that we are dead to the law and a life to Christ. Turn with me a couple of pages back in your Bible to 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 6. 
And this is Paul again. And he would say this, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you, should, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. You are a minister of the gospel. You are a letter. You are a letter that is being read by all around you. But when they read your letter, what are they reading? Do they find the gospel of Christ in your life? Or do they find a person earning their salvation, a person working towards salvation, a person that's angry and bitter and tired? My hope and my prayer is that we would be people that when people, that when the world looks at us and reads us, they would read simply one thing, this person rests in the finished work of Christ. And so are we willing to defend the gospel? And I'm not saying we're to be detectives and walk around and say, well, what do you believe? Tell me what the gospel is. But when we falter and fall, that we can stand up for the gospel and say that's out of step with the gospel like Paul did with Peter last week but also that we would be people that are so grounded in the gospel, so centered in the gospel, that every step that we take is based on our dependence on the Spirit, and that when people read our letters, that they would see Christ and not ourselves, that they would see our lives pointed to him and not to ourselves. For you see, the greatest evidence of the gospel we can give is how we live. And then Paul goes on to tell us in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through law, then Christ died for no purpose. And Paul now tells us, hey, I get it, guys. Um, this is where rubber meets the road. This is where... Living out what I'm telling you is going to be important. And you and I are not going to do this perfectly. This is a process that we are constantly in. But this is the idea that he gives us that you and I have been crucified with Christ. And he is telling us true life is only found in Christ. You and I have put our old man behind on that cross. This is where Jesus tells us to pick up our cross daily and follow him. For you see, every day we must be crucifying sin and the flesh to that cross so that we may be made alive to Christ. But many times we say true life is found in Christ and the things I like, I do, and prefer. This is how many times we live, is that we do have true life in Christ, and I do want to be crucified with Christ, and I do want to have faith in Christ, and I do want to live this out, but also there's some things of the man that I crucified that I still kind of want to hold on to. I don't know that I'm ready to give that up yet, and maybe that's a sin, and maybe that's a preference, and maybe that's a, a hope, maybe that's a status, maybe that's a certain figure at work. Whatever that is that God is asking us to crucify on the cross, sometimes we say, well, I'm crucified with Christ, true life is in Christ, and also in the things that I want, in the things that I desire. 
And Christ is telling us, you have been justified not to go back to the law, not to do good works to earn salvation, and also not to let the old man dictate the way you live now. In fact, you've been crucified with Christ so that the life that you live now, you live in Christ and not in of yourself. And Paul will expound this a little bit more in Romans 6. And we can go there now, Romans 6, 3 to 11. And he says this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For, once, who, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And my question is quite simple to you in this section is, do you consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ? Or are you alive to Christ and still a little bit alive to yourself, right? When you answer the question, tell me a little bit about yourself, is it, uh, does it end up pointing to Christ or does it end up pointing to yourself and your needs and your wants and your desires? Our tendency is to constantly nullify the grace of God. And Paul will tell us that when we understand the great sacrifice of Christ on that cross, that he freely gives us his grace and his mercy through the, through the death of Christ and the resurrection, then we no longer want to nullify the grace of God. But instead, we want to live by faith in Christ. We want to live by faith in the one who gave himself but for us. And the only true life and joy that we ever find is in this Christ and not in ourselves. And so this is our daily endeavor to pick up our cross, put the, the flesh to death and follow in faith. And so Paul tells us here at the very end, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. My prayer and my hope is that you and I would be men and women, brothers and sisters, disciples that truly understand that it is not in us, it is not enough. There is nothing we can bring. Isaiah tells us that our best efforts are filthy rags before the Lord. But simply... All we must do is believe. And so my question to you is quite simple is, what are you believing these days? Are you believing lies about yourself and about your situation and circumstance? Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you hurt? Are you offended? Have you hurt someone or offended someone? Is there division? Is there is something that you are hoping for and longing for as your peace? And if that's the case, then I would have to question what it is you truly believe about God. For you see, in our hardest circumstances, the deepest parts of our belief are revealed. I've been going through a very difficult uh, season over the past about six to eight weeks where I felt like God has allowed me to be underwater and has caused me to really reach out to him for salvation, 
for hope. It's been a very trying time where we have some health issues in my family that we've been praying through and work's been busy and being a newlywed that I'm still figuring out how to be a good husband has taken a toll on me every day and I'm working through that. And I find myself in these situations, in these moments at the end of my days, having to ask myself, where is my faith? Because if I say my faith is in this Christ who paid it all, then at the end of these days, I would rest in his finished work. And yet I find myself trying to find a solution to all these problems. And you know what my solution normally is? It's to do more. More good works. More works of the flesh. More works of the law. To try to do more and earn more favor and make things better. And God has allowed me to sink a little bit. I think of the image with Peter when he walks out on water and He's watching Christ, but the moment he looks away from Christ, he begins to sink. And in that moment, it's where we find the hand of Christ extended to us to pick us up out of our own circumstance and our own situation. And my prayer for God and to God over the past few weeks has been, Lord, help me see something deeper about myself, about my faith in you. Where am I truly not believing the gospel? Because my actions are showing that I'm stressed and that I get upset, and that I'm trying to do more and earn more favor and work harder, and none of this is bringing me that peace and that hope and that relief that I'm longing for. And he's had to very gently show me that in this suffering, what I'm running to seems to be good, but is not enough. Only he is enough. And my hope is that as you run this life as you run the course, as you grow tired, as you run into very difficult circumstances, that you would be reminded of the beautiful words of Paul, that you've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who lives, but it's Christ who lives in you. And the life that you now live, you live for his glory. And so if you suffer, you suffer well because Christ suffered. And so you share in his suffering and that actually brings us joy. And if you have great success, you give the glory to God because it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about our Lord and Savior. And so my hope is that we would put to death the lie that it is about us, that it is about me, that the solution is in me. And the only antidote to that lie is faith in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful, Lord, that uh, you loved us and that you've saved us. We don't deserve your grace. There is nothing we've done to earn it and you've freely given it to us. And Lord, that should humble us and bring us before you daily. But instead, sometimes we believe lies that it's up to us, that we can do enough, that we can work hard enough, that we can, uh, Lord, earn your favor, earn your grace, earn your salvation. And Paul has to remind us that it is not in us, that it is not up to us that you've already finished the work and so we can rest in that finished work and yet we conceptually and theoretically affirm this but sometimes our life do not reflect this because they are full of small lies that we insert into the gospel that we say it's the gospel plus this and yet Paul tells us no, there is no other gospel. There is no gospel plus this. It is simply the gospel of Christ that we've been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone and it is not our own doing. And so now we get to live for the glory of God and not our own glory. 
And I just pray that we would be a people that are wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly transformed by the truths of God's grace, that then we, we would get to live as men and women who are in love with their Savior and rest in their Savior and find their sufficiency in their Savior, and that that would be what would allow us to ultimately serve our neighbors, our networks, and the nations, not to earn good favor with you, but because we already have good standing with you. Father God, thank you for the finished work on the cross. Thank you that we could have never done that and you did that for us. And so today we rest in your finished work. Let us believe it. Let us live out of it. Let us trust you. Let us be men and women who truly identify with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. We're grateful. We're humbled. And we just pray that the truth of justification would radically change the way we live our daily lives. Keep us, guard us from the lies the enemy brings before us. And let us truly have a deeper faith in Christ Jesus and his finished work. We're grateful that you would choose us before we could have done anything for you. That while we were still sinners, you died for us. That's the great love that we have. Now let us live out of that reality. In your name we pray, amen.